Welcome back to another episode of Out of Curiosity. We're seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. My name is Cameron, and I am joined by my dear friend. Garland is here. Yes. Well, uh, that was probably the strangest intro we've ever had to this podcast, but I like it. We're going to keep rolling. I think you, you got to keep people on their toes. If you keep bring the same <laughs> delivery every time, the whole thing, the whole ship sinks. So anyway, um, we want to talk about the central event uh, of the biblical story. Uh, oddly enough, uh, the central event of the, uh, the, the Western calendar also. Uh, it's the central event of all kinds of things. We're talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Garland, did that thing happen? Did that thing happen? Is it ridiculous? <laughs> is it ridiculous to say that a man who was publicly crucified, publicly executed, uh, walked again, lived again, was seen? That's the question of the right. day. Yeah, and it's it's not a it's not an insignificant question. I mean, think about the claim, and I actually have said uh, many times recently to people down here in in our church in Arkansas, um, when's the last time you actually just considered? what it is we're saying. Like, we really are walking around as Jesus followers. Like, the Christian claim is that a person who was actually killed, it wasn't a myth, uh, he didn't almost die, uh, it wasn't a phantom, they didn't get the wrong guy. The, the Christians are not saying any of that. Christians are saying, they're affirming, that our hero was actually brutally murdered, and he actually came back to life, and because he was brutally murdered, and then because he came back to life, that is the billboard sign. Like, it is the giant spotlight in the air. It's the bat signal saying that this person really is the king of the world and Israel's Messiah. Like, that's a lot. Like, that's a that's lot a, that we are saying. As Christians, yeah. we can become so desensitized to it because we talk about right. it all the time. Right. We sing song. Every song features the cross. Every sermon, you know, most good sermons are going to include the cross. We are so anesthetized to it, but we believe something radically wild, absolutely right. wild. So I'm assuming, I mean, I, I live in the South Bible Belt. Like it's a, you know, Easter churches get really filled on Easter Sunday. I'm assuming walking around maybe other parts of our country, maybe where you are, it might be met with a little bit of skepticism or like like how you asked it. Did that really happen? Um, so, I mean, how is it, how, how has that question been posed to you um, recently or in the last, the last 10 years or so? Yeah, I mean, I think... From within the church, there are believers that find it as a central point of doubt. I mean, we're going to talk about this. Everything flows from this claim. If Jesus, if Jesus walked out of the tomb, uh, we have to do something with that. If he didn't, we can stop this whole, this whole mess. We don't have to worry or think about any of this stuff. So if Christians will oftentimes, especially in our context, find this rightly so to be kind of one of those just tension points. Like that, that really, if they have doubts about this, it kind of can unravel the whole thing. And so... Um, yeah, people want to know, is this reasonable to believe? Are there, is there good evidence for this? Is this something I have to believe, I need to believe if I want to follow Jesus? Uh, which that's an interesting question in its own right. Um, the answer, of course, is yes. Um, but then from outside the church, yes, there's, there's I would say Portland is, is a mix of outright, people who are outright skeptical of any kind of supernatural claim who would just say, well, that just obviously doesn't happen. We don't live in that sort of universe. It's just obvious. Or from the other side, um, 
there are plenty of people who are so spiritual, embracing pagan spiritualities and those kinds of things that they they hear about the resurrection. They go, oh, that's another interesting spiritual thing that may have happened. Uh, let's add it right. to the pile of gods and sort of <laughs> sort of experiences mm-hmm. that people, yeah. wild things yeah. people claim. Yeah, ancient stories. And, and what's unique, I think, about Christi- the Christian claim, and uh, you know, Jesus followers listening, you know, out there to this, it's it is unique that Christian cr- the Christian claim is placing itself in the dirt in history. Um, it, it's not it's not a long time ago in a galaxy far far away or a once upon a time kind of thing. The Bible is stating this historical reality occurred, and we believe that it occurred. And so it's one of the things that I find uh, rather audacious about uh, the Christian faith is that it's not afraid to put itself in the dirt. And because of that, it also makes itself quite vulnerable to misunderstanding, misinterpretation. Um, I, I, you know, one of my, I, I hate to admit this, uh, my, one of my favorite genre of movie is the genre where uh, there's a big giant grand conspiracy and the main characters are trying to solve it in real time. And every time in those movies, uh, there's always people trying to kill them at that exact moment, even though this you, thing might have been hidden secret. You for just mean you millennia. just mean Nicolas yeah. Cage movies. I love all Nick Cage movies <laughs> that have this kind of the, feature. The subgenre uh, of Nicolas Cage movies. He doesn't make movies <laughs> yes, otherwise. Lo- he makes one I other kind these. of movie once every 10 years, and the rest are about a, a 50 of those. Great. Yeah, they're, they're all so good. We'll have a whole episode, I think, on Nick Cage movies. But uh, uh, The Da Vinci Code, the book The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown, and the movie that came out with Tom Hanks later, um, it has a uh, it makes a claim about the Christians claim about resurrection and um, it, because the, the the Christian claim is such a unique claim it it says investigate me check this out yeah. dive in here and uh, I've heard uh, a pastor in New York City Tim Keller say and I think he's right and and before we go any further let me just make this point and and feel free to chime in um, he's made the point that. A lot of people in our modern culture have a lot of issues with Christianity, and I understand that. Uh, Some of those are are very well-founded. People have questions about Christians' ethic, uh, sexual ethic, the way Christians behave, what Christians believe, uh, Christians' exclusivity, what Christians believe about the origin of the universe, all that stuff. And what Keller has suggested is if the resurrection didn't happen, and he's, he's channeling this from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul would say, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then we are of all people most to be pitied. Our faith is useless. And Keller would say, if you, if you don't like what the Bible says about, say, um, sexuality um, and, and expression of sexuality, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then what Christians think about sexuality doesn't really mean anything. Who cares? If yeah. he was, though, then his claim on sexual ethic now takes supreme importance. What the Bible says about how the universe came to be, what the Bible says about the destiny of humanity, what the Bible says about the afterlife and salvation. If the tomb is not empty, if Jesus really uh, did not come back from the dead, then we're all just sort of playing, and the Christian the Christian faith should fall. And yeah. um, if you've got those questions and you're listening to this, um, let, let me invite you, maybe first and foremost, to investigate the reality of the resurrection. Start there. I get it. There's a lot of things that Christians do and Christians say and uh, Christians teach that you may have questions about or maybe you have concerns about. Start here with the resurrection account. Um, have you found that to be true as well? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's any time that you run into something, I mean, as someone who's been a follower of Jesus for the majority of my life, I've been, you know, in school, I've been a pastor for years. 
Um, even still, there are all the time things that I run into in, in the scriptures or whatever that I'm like, ooh, this, this does not resonate with me. Or this pricks me in some way, or this is a challenge. I don't like this. And once again, the question of, well, is Jesus who he says he is? And we know who he is, who he says he is by virtue of him coming back from the dead, taking the keys to life and death up into his hands. Um, then at that point, it starts a different conversation. Will I submit to him? Will I trust him? Mm-hmm. Uh, versus right. will I, can I just, do I just have the right to go with what my gut right. is on these things, which is probably not super wise. Well, so let's, so let's get down to, to, to brass tacks here. Cause the, the title of this one is, is the resurrection historically plausible? And, uh, let me let's first articulate the claim, okay? I'm going to give five five we might say reasons in a minute, or five uh, things we can look into historically to give an answer to that question. But first, let's uh, let's actually understand what it is Christians are claiming, because um, I think it could be a little bit confused. Here's what Christians are claiming: the Christian claim is twofold, okay? Two claims. Number one, that the tomb is empty, that there's not a body occupying a tomb that says Jesus of Nazareth outside of it, that. The bo- that Jesus really came back from the dead and the tomb was found empty, okay? Yeah, the and it's not just because they were here. able to hide it or something. There's, there, there'll be right, conspiracy right. theories, that, but it was, there's no tomb because he's, his body was, was, take, was resurrected. His body was not in there, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, but that produces our second point, which is the second piece of our claim is, so the first is that the, the tomb is empty, that, that they really did find a tomb empty. And second, that Jesus really did appear, he really did appear to many of his followers that they weren't gullible. They're not just stupid. Um, they, they think that dead people stay dead. Um, so those are the two things that we're claiming. So when we look at the historical plausibility, we might say, we're not just asking, did Jesus come back from the dead? Okay, that, That's a historical question that is a little vague, more difficult to try to wrestle with. What we're trying to do is what explains those two things. What gives us the best probability of explaining those two things? The articulation, one, that the tomb is empty, and two, that Jesus really did appear. And like you said, if, um, if they find, let's say, if one, if one of those two things doesn't happen, so if the tomb um, is empty but there's no appearance, then maybe they stole the body. Uh, maybe they forgot where the tomb was, although I think that's historically unlikely. If we have Jesus appearing to people, but the tomb is not empty. There's still a body there people can point to. Then we would say maybe they had a vision or they were just really sad in their grief. Yeah, they, mass they delusion. They felt like they had an impression. Yeah, a delusion of Jesus. But those two together create the historical claim. Now I want to give five, not evidences, because let's articulate when we do history, we did not have a recording camera there. Like, that, that's, that is not how it works. There wasn't a CNN crew there recording the event. And so when we do any history, no matter what it is, um, if this is history of, the, the Rome, uh, of, uh, of Caesar crossing the Rubicon, whatever it may be, when we are doing history, we're looking for probability and what explains the factors the best, okay? That's what we're looking for. And I'm going to give five things that need Explanation. We're going to move really quickly through them. So if you're taking notes, if you're driving, don't, you know, don't, don't take notes if you're driving. you're driving. Yeah, don't take notes there. But I don't advise uh, it. If you're reflecting on this as, as we approach Easter this year, here are five things that I think can give you um, at least something to consider. If you're a skeptic, you need to look into these five things. Uh, here's the five things, then we'll go through them quickly. The first is the expectations. Number two, the women. Number three, the doubting. Number four, the timing. 
And number five, the messenger, okay? Mm -hmm. So expectations, women, doubting, timing, and messenger. First, let's start with the expectations. We feel good about those? Five things. We're going to move quick. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Um, the first is this. Um, I, I already stated it, but people in the ancient world, they know when people die <laughs> that, that they died. Like, they, yeah. they really do know that. Um, the, we, there's a, what C.S. Lewis calls a, a historical snobbery tends to take over in some of these conversations that, that, that we're just so smart now and so yeah, educated Everyone was now. such I an idiot remind, back then. Yeah, they were all dumb back then. They, they, of course, thought that people, when they die, would come back and walk around. We, that, that's just silly, and we know that uh, is silly. Now, now, that's the first piece of the expectation. The second piece is this. The, both the Jewish and the non-Jewish, the broader Greco-Roman culture, what, what the Christians began claiming about Jesus is so far beyond, so different than any of the expectations of the day. Let's start with the Jewish well, expectations. Yeah, I was going to say, don't the Jews have an idea of a resurrection of some sort? So, that's, so that's, a, that's one of those things where you say we've become so you know, inoculated with the story of resurrection that we almost assume it must be all over the Bible. And that's that's actually not true at all. When we look at the Old Testament, when we peer into the Old Testament, this is a little bit surprisingly to people, there's almost no concept of an afterlife and very little, if almost no concept of a, like a bodily resurrection. The Old Testament is weirdly, weirdly, weirdly silent. When people die, they go to the place of the dead. It's got different names. It's called sometimes called Sheol. It's sometimes called the, the place of the dead. It's where people go when they when we bury them and they go down into death. And there's only a few hints, we might say, at some kind of an idea of resurrection. Uh, in Isaiah 53, the servant might see his future generations and Maybe that's a hint at a resurrection, but it's not till way later in our Old Testament. Like the book of Daniel isn't written for hundreds and hundreds of years, almost a thousand years after the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible are written. And at the very end of Daniel, we get this strange little note that there's going to be the, the, the wise will be raised to everlasting life, and then those who are not wise will be resurrected to contempt and shame. And that's basically... It. They're, they're not expecting the concept of a resurrection body. If we want to think about a, a Jewish spectrum, there are some that would take some of these little insights and say, yes, there's some kind of resurrection, but it will happen at the end of history when God will come back. On the other end of the spectrum, there's lots of Jews. These would be represented by, uh, if you've read your New Testament, the Sadducee group. Um, the Sadducees, they don't think there's a bodily resurrection at all. When you die, that's it. And there's different groups, we might say, within that spectrum, but among the Jewish community, the thought that one person would be resurrected in the middle of history could not be more foreign than from their expectations. There's a New Testament historian and scholar, his name's N.T. Wright. He wrote about a 950-page book on the resurrection, and he says this uh, in his book. He says, the early Christians did not invent the empty tomb in the meetings or sightings of the risen Jesus. Nobody was expecting this kind of thing. And he adds, no kind of conversion experience would have invented it, no matter how guilty or how forgiven they felt, no matter how many hours they poured over the scriptures. And he says, to suggest otherwise is to stop doing history and to enter a fantasy world of our own. Wow. So out of nowhere, you got a group of Jews insisting that one person in the middle of history came back from death. Uh, 
That's the Jewish expectation. In the broader Greco-Roman ex- uh, expectations, um, for many, the body was a, f- was a physical, ugly, nasty thing that we just want to escape anyway. And so the ideal after death is to go back up to the, f- to the realm of the forms or where the, where the idea of the gods might be, and to, to, to want to be resurrected physically was a terrible idea. Like for a lot of the Greco-Roman culture, that's the last thing they were expecting. And yet here we have, in the, out of nowhere, a bunch of Jews going into the broader Greco-Roman world saying, our guy that got killed, our hero, came back to life bodily, and he really ro- rules and reigns. Mm-hmm. With a body. It's just, it's a, it is something that whether you're skeptical or uh, uh, you've been following Jews for years, you have to wrestle with expectations. The second is the women. Um, now, this, this, this point, I think, has been made many other times, um, and sometimes it can be overstated. Like, uh, women had some voice, in, um, in the public courts, we might say, but non-Roman, conquered, poor women, which is, by the way, that's who a lot of the women that are showing up at the empty tomb of Jesus, they, are, they have no credibility. Um, they, they have no ability to speak with any authority to the, the broader gather, gathered Greco-Roman world or the Jewish world. And so you can imagine, I just have to imagine, um, and, and one, of the, one of the professors I had, his name is Daryl Bach, he says it this way, and, and it's just really helpful. He says, imagine you want to start a new religion, and you want to claim that your Jewish Messiah came back from the dead. Um, if you're a PR firm, you hire a PR firm, <laughs> and you sit them down, hey, we want to tell this story, and we want to, we make, we want to make it go international here. We want to get a lot of followers. Um, you got to imagine the last people you're going to have as the very first witnesses are the people who can't speak publicly with any authority and have zero credibility. And yet, in our gospel accounts, there they are. Mm. There's the women heralding the message of the risen Jesus in the empty tomb. I, I got to imagine the pressure to take them out of the stories, to just take the eraser button oh, and erase yeah. those stories, was immense. And yet, there they are. And it requires historical explanation. The, the, most, the most likely to many historians' explanation is that those women really did experience an empty tomb and experienced a meeting with the risen Jesus. He appeared to them. Now, the next one flows right after that. So we've done expectations in women, the doubting. Um, let me give you how the men react. This is in Luke 24. Here's how the men react when they are told by the women. Remember, they... they they have no credibility. When they show up with the report that Jesus has risen, uh, here's how the men respond. By the way, these are the, the great heroes of the faith, the disciples, the, the apostles, the one that will be the leaders of the early church. Here's what it says about them. But, this is Luke 24, verse 11. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. You have Thomas, one of the early disciples of Jesus, saying, I will never believe it, never, ever, ever, unless I could touch his, head, his hands and his side. Um, imagine, it, one of the presentations, I think, from skeptics about these accounts is that uh, the early church was all about power. They were trying to gain power, and they were trying to gain esteem, uh, gain esteem, and so they invented stories of a resurrected Jesus because they wanted to amass power around them, and they have these stories on the lips of these famous people because they're trying to gain power, and you get power by being associated with one of them. Just, uh, just imagine, if that's how it went down, why would you leave those stories in there? Like, <laughs> 
you would have those men responding flawlessly. And of course they believed, it believed, they, they, believed they believed the message. They were the ones who saw Jesus first. The women weren't even there. Get him out of there. Yeah. But instead, the men look like idiots when they're told. The great heroes, the founders of the faith, they look like idiots as they're told. Uh, the expectations, the women, the doubted, the doubting, the timing. Number four is the timing. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, read for me 1 Corinthians, uh, uh, Hager. Read 1 Corinthians uh, 15, and uh, I want you to pick it up for me, if you don't mind, in verse 3, and, I'll, and go down to verse, uh, verse 6. This is the central claim that Paul states. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 to 6. All right, this is the ESV. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So notice in that passage, first of all, he says, now I pass on what I first received. Paul in Galatians tells us that he meets the risen Jesus. Jesus appeared to him as he's walking up to Syria, Damascus, Syria. And then he says, three years later, he goes, I went up to, I went up to Jerusalem and I met with Cephas. He calls him Cephas here, Peter. I met with James. I met with him and I received this uh, this, this continued message of the resurrection of Jesus. Um, most scholars think what he's talking about here is that message he received from the apostles. So early, early on, we might say almost immediately after the events themselves, definitely within a few years, we have the, G the community of Jesus' followers. And there's, it's, it's almost impossible to, to argue historically this. Paul is writing this in the middle 50s. So within 20 years, he can say, what I received a long time ago... I pass on to you. Um, one of the, the arguments against the resurrection account is that these stories were invented way later, you know, when time had passed, uh, and they wanted to make Jesus seem a little cooler, and they wanted to say some grander things about him. Then these resurrection stories came about. And that just, that just doesn't fly historically. Paul is stating within a short window, the message of the resurrected Jesus is already going all around uh, the, the early Jesus-following community. That demands explanation. The expectations, the women, the doubting, the timing. It's very, very early to be legend or myth. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say, I want to hear the fifth. Give me, give me your fifth item. Oh, the fifth. Yes, our fifth. Yes, our fifth is this. Um, the, the messenger. The messenger. Hmm. Paul... He was previously named Saul. He's going to become the great uh, missionary out of the broader, broader uh, Greco-Roman world. With, with Saul, this man is so zealous for his God that he is willing to have imprisoned and executed uh, followers of Jesus who are making the claim that the God of the Old Testament, the creator and covenant God named Yahweh, became a person and was killed by the Romans. That is how... He was so zealous for his God that he's willing to be violent in honor of his God. Hmm. So that man, within a matter of moments, and this, we, tell that we see the story in Acts chapter 9, goes from imprisoning people making that claim to now he risks his life and finds himself killed for the very same claim. He's sent out into the Greco-Roman world where he knows nobody wants a resurrected body and in Acts 17, as he concludes his great speech to the people gathered in Athens, he says, all of this also points to the God who raised Jesus from the dead. This man who was so zealous for God that he would imprison people making this claim 
He ends up getting imprisoned and killed for the claim. And as he goes and is sent out in the broader Greco-Roman world, he continues to make the assertion that Jesus was resurrected, even though he knows it will find almost no audience. We have to explain the transformation of this man. So those are the five things that I think if you're skeptical, you need to lean into. Um, those are worth investigating this Easter. And if you are a Jesus follower, these can give us, uh, I think, confidence. Um, I think they can give us a, a measure of um, assurance that the claim that we are making in the dirt, the real historical claim, has validity and has, we can be assured of the claim that we're making. A lot to wade in there. A lot to wade through uh, there. Um, any 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 thoughts before we go to one final uh, one final concluding thought? Yeah, I'm sure that you've already said this before, but that was super helpful. Um, and the thing that strikes me is the way in which all, when you consider all this together, you have to. The alternative seems more crazy, I suppose is what I'm trying to say. The alternative requires more finagling of the data, more. Uh, juking of history more um kind of i, I don't know kind of creative constructing imagination. creative yeah. imagination establishing something uh, even more outlandish than something that we've already said is very outlandish that a man raised from the mm -hmm. dead that left an empty tomb behind um and yet yeah i i remember you know every year around this time of year the the discovery channel or whatever will do like these bad documentaries about what really happened with jesus right. or whatever <laughs> the history channel and it's things like, well, yeah, he, we know he was crucified. We have good data for that, good history for that. But, you know, possibly he didn't die. So he, he crawled all the way back to Galilee to meet the disciples. And just, anyway, that's just one example of the kinds of constructions right, right. that just are so much more outlandish. It's very interesting that in his providence, God has, has somehow made the most unlikely story of all time more likely than any other when the we really consider the explanation for the data. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The best explanation for the data. I, we might say it. I, I like how you're saying that. I might say it this way. Christians, we know we're making an outlandish claim. Yes. If you say that the tomb is not empty, do you recognize potentially the outlandish claim that you are making in explaining yeah. the data? It can't just be explained away. Um, now, the last thing I want to close with is this. Paul this great messenger, he concludes his letter to the Romans. Now, keep in mind, this is in, he sends this letter to the church in Rome. Like, that's the center of the world. It's the New York City uh, of its day. And he, he begins this letter, and I'll just read it as we close. And here's how he opens his letter. He greets the church. He introduces himself, and he says this. He says, I've been set apart for the good news, the message that God promised beforehand through his prophets in the scriptures it's about his son, now hear this, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God. How? How was he appointed the son of God, which is a way to say he's the king of the world? He was appointed by his resurrection from the dead. That means he is Jesus, the Messiah, and our Lord. The resurrection <laughs> is the, it, it, it has the implication that is simple but profound. If the tomb is empty and Jesus has appeared, that means he is Israel's Messiah, the one who deals with sin and death, the one who can bring blessing to the nations, and he's the world's true king. Mm -hmm. And that's the claim that Christians are making. It's worth investigating. Yeah, and if he's the king, we have to listen to him, and the best place we can be is following close behind. I hope, we hope this is helpful. Thanks for listening out of curiosity. <laughs>